Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer, and broadcaster who's interviewed roughly 1,400 celebrities, whatever sins I may have committed in a previous life, including the subject of this podcast, Richard Harris, about whom I've also recently published a book called Richard Harris Raising Hell and Reaching for Heaven. It was published in Ireland and the UK in late 2022 and will be available in America in early January. Plug over. Let me give you a backstory to, in fact, that book and this particular podcast, which is based on the book. Indeed, let me tell you about the first time I ever read about Richard, given that it relates to the topic of this podcast, acting. Fittingly, the story began around this time of year, Christmas, back when I was a child. I was an Elvis fan and had asked my mother to buy for me for Christmas three annuals, Superman, the Elvis special, and a Valentine pop special, because on its cover was a portrait of Elvis from his latest film, It Happened at the World's Fair. And then on Christmas morning, after reading an article called At Home with Elvis, I was flicking through the Valentine pop special, and I saw an article titled New Wave Actors. I wondered, were they also swimmers? Either way, Above two pictures of this fellow, Richard Harris, whoever he was, and who it said was the moody and magnificent star of this sporting life, I read this intro to the article. Take a hairstyle like Tony Curtis, profile like Gregory Peck, and physique like Rock Hudson. And a few years back, the British film producer would have told you you had the perfect leading man. He was the suave, debonair type, the man of the world. The winds of change have blown through the film world, and with them have come new wave actors. Craggy-faced, tussled-haired, method types, with no more pretensions to being pretty boy pinups than Harold Steptoe, than they ha and they have set the scene ablaze with T-A-L-E-N-T. First up in the article was Richard Harris, about whom it said, and I am reading from the original article here, Richard Harris, born in Limerick, is an Irishman. I have to say, I wondered what kind of idiot didn't know that if he was born in Limerick, he must be an Irishman. But then I remembered the annual was English. So I read on. Though his career is soaring now, not long ago he spent his nights walking the embankment and sleeping in a cold, a coal cellar. He sank all his savings into a stage production of The Country Girl. The critics liked it. The public didn't. He lost all his money. Richard then was spotted by Lee Strasberg, director of the Actors Studio in New York. Since then, he has played in films like Shake Hands with the Devil and Mutiny on the Bounty. And he's an actor who started at the bottom and is now way out on top. That was it. As a kid who'd recently seen a movie called Deadline Midnight, that made me decide that being a journalist was as noble as being a knight of the round table, and who had decided to become a journalist when I grew up. Harris was a hero already, if only because he started at the bottom and was now on top. With all that in mind, you can imagine how thrilling it was for me 25 years later to sit with Richard Harris during our first interview and end up talking about The Method and Stanislavski, about whom I'd read as a would-be playwright. But let me add a preface to what follows. As I say in my book, when Richard was 20 or so, he was bedridden by tuberculosis and began reading, or rather devouring, the works of Shakespeare and Stanislavski and so on. All of this was part of why he decided to become an actor. 
Then within five years when he moved to London and was rejected at Rada and ended up instead at the London Academy of Dramatic Arts, he loved the latter because, he once told me, it had a class on Stanislavski. Richard was besotted, not so much by the so-called method, but by the original teachings of the Russian director Konstantin Stanislavski. He lived his roles, particularly when playing in a stage production called The Ginger Man, right up to the time of the movie The Sporting Life, when, as Richard later admitted to me, he was so immersed in the part that he remained in character as the sometimes brutish Frank Machen when he came home to his wife, Elizabeth, and their children at weekends, which Richard also admitted to me helped damage or undo his marriage. Even more damagingly, Richard began to live out that role in public. However, by 1987, he turned his back to whatever degree on the method and Stanislavski, as I soon discovered when we touched on the subject. Also, Dylan Thomas, I think, reading good. You're going back again and studying, reading Thomas. Thomas did the same thing, I'm told, at the end of his life. He began to act. I don't do it anymore. As I said, that this happens when you're much younger. You know, I think I ruined my first marriage because of that. To, to Elizabeth, it was purely because somehow I began to believe what they said about me it was true. But the public image of you now still is... But I, yeah, but I don't believe yeah. it. Yeah, but you I don't. don't. I don't act it. I, no. No. You can't... I'll tell you something very interesting. You can't erase it. They won't let you. I'll give an example. I only caused, I only caused problems in one movie in my entire, my entire career. One movie. 1959. I stood up to Marlon Brando when nobody did. The whole industry cowed and crumbled in front of Brando. I tried to piss off one day. I called him a gross, misconceived fucking amateur. Okay? Yeah. And I said, and, you, and, and, and I said to him, and, you know, and you're not really that good. That was a lie. He was good. <laughs> I said, you're not. Really. Yes. I thought it hurt him. I said, no, you're not really that good. Did he hit you? He didn't. Uh, but it, well, that was a legendary row I had yeah, yeah. with Brando. But that's lived ever since. From then on, I have done pictures. Uh, I remember John Huston. I, I, I'd argue with the director if things were wrong. I remember John Huston years ago, someone said to John Huston, in films and filming, was it, what was it like working with Harris? And he said, the next time I read that Richard Harris caused trouble on a film, he said, I will be, I'm forced to believe that the director or the producer hadn't done their homework. But reputations are hard to erase, I think. Once you have it, you have it. But it doesn't, I don't, I don't, I mean, the beauty, the beauty of getting older, you know. I'm glad I'm not young anymore. No, I'm glad I'm not young anymore. <laughs> But the beauty of getting older is that you're able to cast off all that. It doesn't, it's, it's totally unimportant. What people think of me is totally unimportant. Is it? Oh, yes, totally unimportant. Yeah. So no concern in mind whatsoever. But it cast a shadow in front of you still. Was it, would it, you know, when you come into social situations, they're kind of saying, oh, here we go? I think that probably there's a... Sometimes there may be a little tension yeah. if I walk into a room. Yeah. I notice the tension, but... And I don't... And I, and I don't... You sometimes revel in that. I don't. I don't do either. Th no, I don't. I don't do either things. I, I, no, I don't do either thing. I don't try to intimidate. intimidate or I don't try to erase it. I just... Sometimes. No, I no. won't. No. No. I just behave as if that's what's natural This, this is what's happening now. Yeah. <clears throat> OK. <clears throat> having some form of identity crisis does seem to be an occupational hazard for actors, knowing where you stand amid all the parts. Yes. Has that ever been troublesome to you? 
where I, Richard Harris, died. It said in the uh, program I have there for Camelot, Harris not only played the king, he became the man. You've since played that 2,000 times. Has Harris been overtaken by Arthur? I don't think so. I don't think. I think I'm... Uh, it's wonderful. Again, let me answer that. I hope in an interesting way, okay? In your own way. I can't just do no, it, say ahead. yes or no. That's what happens is this, is that we all believed, I mean, stupidly believed as actors. Because I'm, you know, I'm going, I'm going to America and actually to teach. I'm going to Scranton University to teach a class in acting. Right. And I love directing. I used to direct all my understudies in Camelot, and they all got on finally. And they became Broadway stars. Three of them are starting on Broadway last year. Right. Came out of my chorus that I trained for years. And all the theories that I held as a young actor and that I, was, that I was passionate about as a young actor have all reversed. You cannot live apart. I mean, this whole idea of, the, of, 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 of not Stanislavski, Mark, you, that the American method, a la Lee Strasberg, right. is an absolute, it's a gigantic misconception. It is a fallacy and it's terribly dangerous for De Niro to say, I can only perform if I am Al Capone in The Untouchables, because I have to say to, I have to pick him up and say to Al, to, to, to Nero, it is not so. It is impossible. Why is it impossible? It is impossible for an actor of 35 years of age, 42 years of age, to able to turn off 42 years of his life, the tapes that we know are running in our heads, probably from prenatal state, probably from prenatal state. There's some proof that's true, that the mind is picking up information in the mother's womb. It is impossible to turn Richard Harris off, having been with the sea lads. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Yes. Okay, then. He's <laughs> turned off by that. You All know right. what I mean? It is impossible to turn him off, to turn him off for two months and create... 42 years of tapes for Al Capone. It is impossible. But it said you became the man. It's not true. All right, that was just a blurb. No, they believed it. It's yeah. not true. But playing a part like that 2,000 times. That's true. I put it off on a... Well, as soon as the turn it off when you walk as soon as, the the, as soon as the curtain comes down, it's over. Yeah? Yeah. I, I have to admit, I always loved that image of Richard Harris picking up Robert De Niro and telling him he was wrong. But now I want to fast forward to uh, page 298 of my book. I want to read a section from that because this is Richard again talking about actors. It, this, this part of the book is actually a recreation of a conversation he and I had in a pub. And it, uh, I, you know, I refer to myself in it. I say, in 1996, Harris made another movie in Ireland, Trojan Eddie. Five years later, when we talked about that, I was dating Charlotte Bradley, who had a small part in the film. Charlotte told me she kept her distance from Harris on the set because some actors seemed to defer to him as if he was the godfather. So I asked Richard Harris if he nurtured that kind of nonsense. No, I don't know why your girlfriend thought that. For example, I refuse to have meals sent to my room. Instead, I go out and eat with the crew. And I meet the crew afterwards, take them for a drink. I hope she didn't misinterpret what she saw. I heard that Brendan Gleeson didn't defer to you, that he looked you right in the eye, boy. I thought Gleeson was great in the film, but he wrote things, Richard said. His lines? Yeah. He would write lines for himself at the end of every scene, and I liked that. But Stephen Ray came to me one day and said, 
Are you going to let this guy get away with it? He's writing stuff and coming in and taking scenes away from us. I said, listen, I admire some guy who goes home and works on his text. He is doing that and I admire him for it. Let's go back to your youth or mine when we started out making movies. Didn't we all do that? So why can't he do it to us now? And why can't we give him fucking permission to do it? I remember Gleason coming to me one day and saying about my big scene at the bar, do you mind if... And I cut him short. I didn't need to hear what he had to say. I told him, do what you fucking like, man. I'll react to it. Go for it. Richard Harris was not, however, a fan of the acting style of Gabriel Byrne. They worked together in movies, in the movies This Is The Sea and Smiller's Sense of Snow. Did you see Gabriel in Moon for the Misbegotten on Broadway? I asked Harris in 2001, referring to a production of Eugene O'Neill's play which I'd seen the previous year. No. Was he any good? Better than I expected. I wasn't sure if Gabriel could sustain the role for the evening, but he did. He certainly was more dynamic than I've ever seen in any movie. But on screen he seems to play variations of the same tedious one-note role. Harris said, I agree. We had a couple of nights drinking together when we were making Smiller's Sense of Snow and I discovered he's a funny guy with a great sense of humour. So once I said, listen, why haven't I seen this on the screen? Why do you have this vision of yourself? You mean a brooding, Byronic hero, all sexy poses with fuck all going on underneath? Exactly. And that doesn't work for him. So it's not getting across to us. After Moon for the Misbegotten Richard, I was sitting backstage with Gabriel and his friend Patrick Bergen. And like you, I was thinking Gabriel has a great, dry, typically Irish sense of humour. We should see that on screen. But he's locked inside a limiting image of himself. Richard replied, And it doesn't work because it is posy and superficial. I told him that. Even during Smiller's Sense of Snow, at one point when we were filming a scene, I had to stop him and say, you're posing again. You're doing this. Harris lowered his head and looked up at me through lidded eyes, mimicking a burn look. Then I said, just play the fucking thing. But his movie career has stagnated, hasn't it? Seems so. Harris asked me, by the way, who is Patrick Bergen? Do you mean Tom Berenger? No. Bergen got his break in sleeping with the enemy, with Julia Roberts, remember? Oh, him. I went to see that because she was in it. I love Julia Roberts, but I didn't think much of him in the film. He was wooden. And his career has stagnated too, hasn't it? Well, Richard, he told me he thought you allowed your ego to fracture the field. The day Bergen makes a movie as good as the field, I may pay attention to what he says about me. But probably not. <laughs> Bitchy bitchy guys okay i thank you for listening to this edition of the joe jackson interviews podcast and i wish all my listeners throughout the world who have supported the podcast over the past two years particularly during the pandemic i wish you all a happy new year oh and i should say i may as well another plug the book richard harris raising hell and reaching for heaven is available on from amazon uk from barnes and noble and will be available worldwide from january the 10th thank you